Evolutionary Radio. This is going to be a new show format we're going to be doing for you guys. We've been getting a lot of requests for a Q&A episode. So this is going to be in addition to our guest episodes. In this episode, me and Steve are going to answer 10 listener questions. So if you guys have listener questions, you can just send me an email. You can send me a DM on Instagram or anything like that. And every episode, we're going to answer 10 questions. So Steve has his list. Steve's got the list of the 10 questions we're going to answer this episode. And Steve is just going to fire them off one by one. So Steve, do you want to give me the first question? Yeah, the first question uh, came in, and this might be a longer answer, guys, because this is a very important topic. But the first one is he wants to know, why does my doctor say that fat makes you fat? And why does he tell me I should avoid fat and pick low-fat foods? You want me to go first? I'll I'll go first. Um... Yeah, because um, I'm going to go through the history, but Trevor kind of nailed the kind of overhang of it, and I'll kind of get deeper into the history. But go ahead first. Well, well, first of all, medical doctors aren't nutritionists. Um, Most medical doctors have very basic knowledge when it comes to nutrition. And for a long time, there was a lot of misinformation that was done by Ansel Keys. And that's where the whole saturated fat, fat is bad uh, ideology came from. And because you have a storage form for carbs. So when you eat carbs, any excess carbs will get stored as glycogen. So it kind of just makes sense that carbs get stored as something other than fat, so then fat must get stored as fat. If you look at the physiology of insulin and things like that, it gets much more complicated than that, but from a very basic ideology, it makes sense that carbs wouldn't get stored as fat, but fat would get stored as fat. Fast forward to where we are now, with current nutrition knowledge, we know that excess excess calories will get stored as fat, but fat is not the enemy, and that actually fat is very, very important. There's essential fatty acids, which you must get through your diet, and that because fat keeps insulin levels low, fat is actually less likely to get stored as carbohydrates. What are your thoughts, Steve? All right, guys. So let, you know, let's kind of dig through the history, guys. It's going to be a little uh, longer answer. But basically, um, the, Trevor kind of gave you the outlook of, of what happened. And I'm not one of these tinfoil hat people, but the bottom line is fat is one of our oldest and best nutrients, right? We all know that. So it's logical human thinking, though, if you ask any random person, ask your neighbor, they think if they eat something with fat, it goes into the body and becomes fat. Okay, so and it makes you fatter. But that's just not the case. But like the logical human being doesn't think like that. So your doctor, he's a victim of the 80s. So what happened was the early 20th century, back In the 40s and 50s, doctors started noticing that people were getting heart disease, okay? So this is something that never existed before in the United States. Like, nobody ever had heart disease. Like, what the hell is this? So doctors started researching it. Dwight Eisenhower, who was president during the 50s, he had a heart attack in 1955, which was crazy that a president who everyone viewed as like this strong general, he was a general during World War II, how could this guy get heart disease? And everyone started freaking out. So now you had scientists coming out with all these theories as what causes heart disease and all this stuff. So one of the more popular scientists and doctors at the time, he came out with the idea 
that fat is bad for you by cherry picking a study. And this is something that we see supplement companies do even today. They'll cherry pick a study to form a hypothesis, run with that theory. You had another scientist say, no, sugar is what causes heart disease. Sugar causes obesity. And that guy was basically attacked by the sugar industry. So the sugar industry basically got powerful during the 60s, started pushing during the 70s. And then finally, in 1980, the USDA came out and said, no, fat is bad for you. Stick to low fat. And basically, companies started putting out products that had no fat, but had tons of sugar. And that's what led to the obesity epidemic and the heart disease epidemic of the 80s and 90s. Now, Trevor and I, we're both in great shape. We both have a low, you know, great heart health, everything. But we avoid sugar, okay, for the most part. And we eat a lot of fats. So that is the, the bottom line, guys. Don't listen to these doctors. They're believing junk science and junk research. And that's, that's the problem. So keep the doctor out of your kitchen. Fats are not bad. Trevor, really quick, can you give us the best fatty foods that we can consume that are going to help? So I just, I just want to quantify what Steve said, that what he said is correct, is that heart disease actually has nothing to do with fat. It has to do with inflammation. And what's very inflammatory in the body is sugar and refined carbohydrates. Now, there are some fats you want to avoid. That would be trans fat. And that would be oxidized fats. So those would be fats from vegetable oils. That would be soybean oil. That would be canola oil. That would be sunflower oil. That would be safe oil. Now, if you just think about it logically, an olive, an olive is very, it's, it's, it's oily in nature, right? You basically just press an olive, and then you're going to get olive oil. Same thing with something like avocado, same thing with like macadamia nuts. Those are oily foods by nature. The problem with something like canola is that it's a grain. It doesn't have very much oil in it. So in order to actually get oil from canola or from sunflower or from safeflower, you need to use high heat, which then makes the oil rancid. It oxidizes the oil. So you want to be staying away from any sort of vegetable oil, and you want to be staying away from trans fats. Some of my favorite fats, avocado oil, coconut oil, macadamia nut oil. Those would be the best ones for cooking with. And then for eating uncooked, so that'd be adding to salads or shakes or things like that. You could have flaxseed oil, you could have hemp oil, or you could have extra virgin olive oil. But you wouldn't want to cook with those because they have a low smoke point. So for cooking, avocado oil, macadamia oil, or coconut oil. All right, guys, next question. This is from a female. She wants to know best way to lose belly fat. Very general question, but a good question. Because if you walk in any gym, you'll see a lot of overweight people and women obsess over their bellies because they'll see, you know, the chick, you know, with a bikini body and they get embarrassed and, you know, it's a mess, you know, psychologically it's a mess, whatever. So Trevor, can you give this woman some tips? Let's say you're a woman and you're like 30, 35% body fat and you want to basically, you know, you have a kind of a belly going and you kind of want to lose that belly. Can you give some simple tips that she can try to improve that. It always breaks my heart when I see an overweight woman on the mat doing a thousand sit-ups. Because she's there, she's trying, but she has the wrong information. You can't spot reduce body fat. So if you want to lose body fat, you need to get leaner overall. So if that woman wants to lose body fat, she needs to make an effort to lose body fat overall. So that'd be fixing her diet first and foremost, because you can't out-exercise a bad diet. 
And that would be when she's in the gym, she would want to be burning as much calories as possible. So I recommend would be, you know, like a circuit style training, you know, be doing lots of squats, walking lunges, bench press, overhead press, deadlifts, things like that. You're really not burning that many calories on a mat doing crunches, right? She'd be much better off doing full body exercises. So you can't spot reduce body fat. You just need to get leaner overall. Steve, what are your thoughts? Okay, so like this is another thing that kind of ties into the history thing. Let's go back in history. Let's look at what's been happening over the past 10, 15 years. You have all these stupid fucking shows on TV that, you know, the biggest loser and, and all these shows that where people show up, they're fat, they lose like 50 pounds, 100 pounds, whatever. And by doing these crash diets or, or whatever. And these shows are very misleading because before these contestants go on the show, the producers tell them to get fat. So the producers tell them, get as fat as you can, gain 25 pounds, gain 50 pounds, eat burgers, eat cheeseburgers, eat all this garbage, eat McDonald's, get as fat as you can, then go on the show. And then that will basically cause you to transform back down. So it's a homeostasis type of thing. So don't be misled by the bullshit you see in social media by supplement companies, they're known to do that, by the way. I've been asked to do that myself. I'm sure Trevor has. They'll tell you, hey, go eat McDonald's for one month and then start taking my supplement and then you'll stop eating the McDonald's, go back to eating healthy again, and like magic, you'll go from being fat to being lean again. Well, that's homeostasis, just like how a pregnant woman, she's pregnant, she gets a big belly, she has the baby, and then the belly goes back down because your body's used to that certain weight, so it goes back down. So genetics plays a role, to put it bluntly, if you have been fat all your life, okay, homeostasis is gonna be a problem for you. So keep that in mind, but if you were skinny before, got out of shape, and you wanna get back to being lean again, that's a lot easier than someone who's been fat all their life. So the, the proper way to do it isn't to crash your calories, isn't to you know eat no fat, isn't all these, you know, cookie cutter things, you know, eating the deficit and all that, you really have to change the way you approach your diet lifestyle. And it's more than exercising because you cannot exercise your way to losing weight. It's just not possible. The best swimmers in the world, the long distance swimmers, they all have, these are males, they're all 20% body fat. Because even though they're swimming this long distance, they still have a high body fat count. So just because you're burning a ton of calories or whatever doesn't necessarily mean you're going to lose weight. That's a little bit, um, you, you cannot outrun a diet, guys. Don't go and work out, then afterwards go to Chick-fil-A and think that you're going to lose weight just because you supposedly burn 500 calories on the elliptical. You know, it doesn't work that way. You really have to, starts in the kitchen, go to your kitchen, get rid of all the processed junk, eat clean, whole foods, okay? You're not gonna get fat off eating vegetables, fruits, meats, you know, organic meats in moderation, stuff like that, but you will get fat off processed shit, stuff in boxes, you know? So that's the basic, you know, way to, to lose weight. That's the start for you. All right, guys, so the next question is muscle growth. So this is a really weird one, and this kind of ties into uh, what we just said, too. This is a guy asking about muscle growth. He wants to know, the stubborn muscles like chest, calves, do they grow 
um, while on a cycle or do they remain really smaller? And this kind of ties into, can you, can you just train a specific body part and make it bigger? I'm going to answer this question, not really answering the question he asked, because I know what the problem is. So to put it, to answer his question directly on a steroid cycle, you're basically going to be a bigger version of yourself. So if your calves suck, your calves are going to get bigger, but they're still going to suck in the relation to the rest of your body. Now, if you have a poor muscle group, obviously genetics are involved, but generally speaking, you're not able to contract that muscle very well. Any muscle that you have a really good development with, you're going to have a good mind-muscle connection with. So let's say your chest is your best exercise. Chances are when you exercise chest, you get a really, really good pump. You can feel it working. You can just, you can literally just stand here and you can flex your pecs. Now, let's say your hamstrings suck. You probably don't really feel your hamstrings working when you're squatting or things like that. If I told you to contract your hamstring, you wouldn't be able to do it. So in my experience is that if you have a poor muscle group, what you need to do is you need to work on muscle execution and you really need to work on developing a good mind and muscle connection. Because the mistake I see a lot of guys get is that let's say their chest sucks. They'll be like, okay, well, I need to get more weight on my bench press, but they're not actually benching with their chest. They're benching with their shoulders and their triceps. So even though they're getting stronger on their bench press, they're not actually addressing the problem that their chest sucks and their shoulders and triceps are just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So what that person would need to do is actually back off the weight, focusing on muscle execution, focusing on developing a mind-muscle connection with their chest, and then slowly increase the weight back up. So drugs don't really change this. This, this, this is effective for a natural or an enhanced athlete. Um, so before you hop on a steroid cycle, don't think a steroid cycle is going to make your weak arms suck. You need to figure out why your arms suck, fix that, and then when you add in the drugs, you're just going to grow at an even accelerated rate. Steve, what are your thoughts? It's definitely genetics, guys. I mean, Lee Priest, he has huge calves, huge biceps. He's only, what, 5'4"? He's got small limbs. It's not necessarily having to do with your height, but like someone like Trevor, he's six foot. I'm about 5'6". I've got much shorter limbs than Trevor does. Trevor, you know, he's European or whatever. They got long, lanky limbs. You ever seen like a, you know, British guy, he can probably stand up and scratch his knees. They got long, lanky limbs. Obviously, your muscle is going to be long and lanky, right? The best, one of the best um, deadlifters in the world, okay, you can look, look him up. I forgot the guy's name, but he's actually really, really short. He's only five foot five, but he's got extremely long limbs. So he doesn't fit the stereotype. So just because you're short or tall in height doesn't necessarily mean your limbs are short or tall. So in his case, he has such a great deadlift because he's got that long, lanky arms. It's kind of like hitting a baseball with a long baseball bat. You're going to strike out a lot of times, but if you do get the perfect hit, it's going to be a home run. Babe Ruth, he used to have a short bat. He would never get home runs. He'd just get singles or doubles, but he'd, he'd have a very high hit rate. He hit the ball. It's the same thing. It's all about the way our genetics are, guys. So don't be insecure about your genetics, but it doesn't mean in weight training, you still can't push yourself. You still can't push yourself to improve. A lot of times, guys, you're overtraining the muscle, especially with shoulders. We see this all the time. Tearing of rotator cuffs is a major problem. Half of you listening to this that work out consistently have some sort of tear in your rotator cuff if you're in your 30s or 40s. I can guarantee it. 
Trevor, he's still young. He probably doesn't have that yet. But if he continues pounding his shoulders as he get older, it's going to happen. So don't overtrain the muscle to think that you're going to have better results. But certain muscles can be overtrained, like your calves. You can overtrain your calves. It's, it's not a problem. It's not really you know, necessarily one of those things where you can't outrun your genetics, but you can still work on improving it. I'll say one more thing about genetics is that you have genetics and you have epigenetics. So epigenetics is actually the expression of your genetics. So if you have genetics that your calves suck, that's frustrating, but you can change your epigenetics to things like I talked about, which is muscle execution and things like that. So if your calves suck, you're never going to get amazing calves, but you can influence your epigenetics to get decent calves. We need to get smart with your training. You really need to focus on muscle execution, probably stimulate the muscle. And you're probably gonna have to train that muscle very, very frequently because genetically, it's not gonna be a muscular body part for you. So you'd have to train that muscle with high frequency, high volume, and really make sure you're getting good muscle execution. Steve, you wanna give out the next question? Next question about acne. He wants help. He's having acne issues on cycle. All right, let's, let's first say if you're on cycle, your hormones are changing. So that's going to ignite if you have existing acne issues. Certain people have the genetics. Again, we go back to genetics. Some people are more genetically prone to acne. So if you have acne problems already and you start using anabolics, the hormones are going to fluctuate and you're going to have likely more of that, that problem. So you want to possibly you know, avoid anabolics as much as you can or use very, very mild anabolics. Trevor, um, I know you're obsessed over your skin health. Can you please tell this guy some advice, some natural ways of um, curing acne or helping with acne and also have you experienced Accutane, which I have not, luckily, I haven't needed to, but it's extremely harsh from the people who have. I've never used Accutane, no. Um, I've been pretty lucky. I've never had acne. Like I've had maybe an occasional zit here or there, but I've never actually had acne. Um, acne is very common, especially in younger guys. The first question I would ask is, how is your hygiene? Because I see a lot of guys with acne, they're not showering right after the workout, which is the worst thing you could do. Because basically you're going to go work out, you're going to sweat, you're going to clog your pores. If you're not showering right after that workout, you're just asking for acne. So the first thing I would say is be meticulous with your hygiene, especially if you're genetically predisposed to developing acne. The second recommendation would be go to your doctor and ask for a topical acne cream. He's going to prescribe you something that'll be way stronger than anything you can buy over the counter. Because it's topical, it's not liver toxic. I would try that first. And then if that doesn't work, consider using Accutane. Accutane is very, very effective, but it comes with a lot of side effects. It's very liver toxic. So my advice would be Number one, make sure your hygiene is perfect. Number two, if you still have acne after that, go to your doctor, ask for a topical acne cream. If that doesn't work, then ask for an Accutane prescription. This is another drug question, uh, another prescription drug question. Finasteride and Dudasteride. All right, these are both the HT blocker drugs. This guy wants to know, is it worth using or is it too risky? So before I answer, Trevor, have you used finasteride or dutasteride? What were your sides? And, because I have not, like I said, and would you recommend using it or is it too risky? I actually have used finasteride. I didn't use it very long. I used it for a couple of months. I used one milligram per day. 
it, I didn't really notice much from it. I didn't notice any side effects coming off of it. So I guess I got lucky. Maybe I didn't use it long enough. Um, it also, I didn't really notice any difference when it came to hair loss or anything like that. I wasn't suffering from hair loss, but I thought maybe it'd help be a prevention method. I did some more research on DHT and hair loss. And that's why I stopped taking the finasteride is that everyone blames DHT on hair loss, but it's way, way, way more complicated than that. Like for example, Anavar is a DHT derivative, but that's one of the safest steroids when it comes to hair loss. Trenbolone is an androlone derivative, but that's one of the worst steroids for hair loss. So it's way, way, way more complicated than DHT. All steroids promote something called androgenic alopecia, which is basically steroid-induced hair loss. The worst steroids for hair loss are androgenic-based steroids. That'd be things like Trenbolone, that'd be things like Winstrol. Um, finasteride isn't going to do anything for those because finasteride prevents testosterone from aromatizing into DHT. So finasteride would only really protect you from test, D-ball, and EQ. But again, it's, those aren't even the worst steroids for hair loss. So I don't think finasteride is necessary. It's not even going to help prevent hair loss from most steroids anyways. What I would recommend is using a really good anti-hair loss shampoo. Because that's topical, you won't have any side effects. The one I like is N2 Shampoo. Uh, if you just Google that, you can find a link to that. And the second thing I would recommend would be Rogaine, which is minoxidil. Costco actually sells a generic form of Rogaine. It's just called minoxidil spray, which is way cheaper because brand name Rogaine is very expensive. So I'd recommend- What's, what's in it? Minoxidil, that's the drug. But what's, 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 what, what is that? What kind of side effects does that have? It's a topical DHT blocker, but because you're applying it topically to your scalp, it doesn't actually affect anything besides your, besides your hair follicles. All right, guys. So 5A reductase inhibitors like finasteride and dutasteride, those are used by transsexuals. Okay, and what transsexuals do, okay, and you can look this up. I'm not trying to make a joke or whatever, is that they'll use these drugs and they'll use estrogen to give them more female-like properties because when you use these drugs, it blocks dihydrotestosterone, which is DHT in your body. That causes your prostates to shrink. That's why doctors give these drugs to help with prostate. Now, in the bodybuilding world, people started using them for hair because DHT fries hair follicles, like Trevor said. You know, so would I ever use this? No, because my hair, my, you know, my other functions in my body, DHT is a sex hormone. It's what makes us men. That's more important to me, okay, than keeping my hair. Another thing to remember, guys, all these YouTube gurus that you see on the internet, they're all abusing steroids. You can tell because they have no hair. So if these drugs really did work like magic and prevented hair loss, they would be on it, believe me. But they're still losing their hair anywhere in their bald. So don't use these drugs. It's not worth the risk unless you just don't care and you're like asexual and you don't plan on ever having sex again. That's the only way I'd ever touch these drugs. All right, guys, next question. This is one that really needs to be talked about in depth because it's important. This is uh, one of the most popular foods for bodybuilders. And Trevor, can you guess that food? Chicken, I'm guessing. Close, it's an egg and that's what chickens lay. So let's talk about eggs. How do you like your eggs? How many eggs do you eat usually a day? How do you prepare them? And then I'll talk about how to pick 
the correct egg that's most healthy. So I like eggs as a whole. A lot of people have food allergies and food sensitivities to eggs. So I would just make sure to do an allergy test before eating them. Um, when it comes to eggs, you want to rotate your cooking method because eating foods cooked in the same way can promote food allergies. So if you like scrambled eggs, I would have scrambled eggs and hard boiled eggs, then maybe do sunny side up, just rotate the cooking methods. Um, I think eating a couple whole eggs for every egg white is the best option. Um, the problem with whole eggs is they are pretty high in fat. And again, fat is not to be demonized, but it is high in calories. So I'd do maybe three or four whole eggs and maybe three or four egg whites. That would give you roughly 40 grams of protein, and that would be 15 to 20 grams of fat. Um, my favorite way to cook eggs is I actually just hard boil them, and then I'll scoop out the egg yolks for the egg whites. So I'll have maybe four whole hard boiled eggs, and then I'll have four hard boiled eggs with the yolk scooped out. The reason I like hard boiled is it's very transportable. You can easily put it into a Tupperware. Um, it doesn't get kind of gross because if you scramble eggs or things like that, they kind of taste kind of weird after you put them in a Tupperware. So I like hard boiled eggs and then you can also batch cook. So I could hard boil, let's say 30 eggs and that would give me breakfast for a couple of days. Steve, how do you like your eggs? So what I do with the eggs is I'll put them in a pan and I'll put some coconut oil, raw organic coconut oil. Very important. Read the lab, read the ingredients guys. Don't just look at the label. You got to read the ingredients to see what's in this shit because they put a lot of garbage in this stuff. You may have to go to a health food store to get the good stuff. Cook it on medium to low, sunny side up. Don't overcook it. Flip it and then cook a little bit on the outside, but keep the yolk runny. That is the most healthy egg. But before we even worry about cooking it, we have to make sure we buy the right eggs. So there's a lot of BS out there. When you look at an egg carton, you see cage-free, you see pasture, you see organic, you see omega-3 added. You see all these different types of eggs. How do you know which egg to pick? Well, here's the thing. Number one, you can either go to a local farmer, watch his chickens, see how they're treated. Are they getting time outside where they can go and peck? They can eat worms. They can eat bugs. They can eat seeds. That's a natural chicken. Or does the farmer keep the chickens inside of a cage all day and feed them slop and soy and all this crap that's not even their natural diet? So that's a great way to know. If you don't have an access to a local farm like that, then in the grocery store, look for what's called humane friendly eggs. It's a stamp on it. And that basically is a stamp from a um, kind of a bureaucracy that went to that particular farm and did the checking for you. And if that farm passed a certain level of, you know, being a humane, humane uh, friendly chicken place, then that they will earn that stamp. So that stamp is your best way to tell if the eggs are good. Why is it important to buy good quality eggs versus the crappy quality eggs from Walmart? Well, you know, like I said, they're feeding the chickens crap versus the chickens eating natural foods, living a good life, they're happy, they're laying healthy eggs, all that good stuff. What you're putting in your body, guys, matters, all right? It's just like eating organic versus not eating organic. You can eat not organic vegetables that are smothered in pesticide that killed the plant 
that killed bugs that killed the bacteria on the plant or you can eat organic which is natural and that's basically putting your body stuff in your body that's healthy you'll feel better you'll be more healthy it makes a huge difference guys and remember for all of you who are like ah my grandparents never ate organic well remember they actually did because we didn't start spraying our crops and doing all this crap that we do today you know it was the prior generation that started that all in the name of making more money it wasn't for health reasons it wasn't for anything else besides making money so our grandparents grew up eating everything organic all right so that's not a, an argument guys stop being stubborn a lot of you you know are turning around and starting to buy organic and noticing the health benefits and it's not that much more expensive and in some cases it's cheaper anything to add trevor um that's pretty much all i would add i would Did I say miss anything on the organic well i would say everyone's heard the saying you are what you eat and there is a lot of truth to that so you are what you eat is eaten as well so if you're eating chicken eggs that were fed a crap diet the eggs are going to be low quality if you actually look at the literature there's scientific literature backing the fact that free range properly fed chickens have higher amounts of nutrients they have less saturated fat they have more cla they have more b vitamins than chickens fed a poor diet like if you're getting the 99 cent per dozen eggs they're going to be fed genetically modified corn genetically modified soy it's just going to lead to a lower quality egg and lower quality nutrition for you next question is winstrol probably the most popularly used steroid that's not well like used by a lot of people but everybody i'm saying it's like popular in that the, the name winnie winstrol winnie everyone wants to use winnie because ben johnson got busted for it back in the 80s during the olympics so now everyone thinks that winnie is the best thing ever so winstrol guys should he wants to know should he use it on cycle what are the advantages what are the disadvantages trevor have you used winstrol i'm assuming you have I've actually never used Winstrol, no. Um, okay. Winstrol is really overrated because for most guys at the gym, they just want to be a gym bodybuilder. They're not actually looking to compete, right? Winstrol is one of the worst steroids in terms of side effect. I'd say it's probably the worst steroid for your hair, and it gives most people joint pain. So if you just want to be you know, a little bit swole, you want to look good with the tank top, why would you take something that's going to cause so many side effects? You know, I'd say Anavar would be a much better option. Both are DHT derivatives. Um, I just don't like Winstrol. Like a lot of people get really bad joint pain from it, so they're not going to be able to train properly. Like I see guys adding Winstrol into a bulking cycle. It just it just doesn't make any sense to me. Is why would you add something that's going to give you joint pain when you're trying to put on muscle and lift heavy? Like that just that makes no sense to me. It's just a very misunderstood steroid. Like it's a very effective cosmetic steroid. So if you're doing a bodybuilding competition, you want something to help dry you out and give you a nice cosmetic effect. And I think Winstrol the last couple of weeks before a bodybuilding show is very effective. But if you're trying to put in a muscle, if you're just trying to be like a gym bodybuilder, it's really, the side effects really don't merit its usage. What are, what are your thoughts, Steve? I've used Winstrol and I'm gonna tell you something. Like if you, if you read the old information about Winstrol, it's listed as something with just mild side effects. But you have to remember those steroid charts, I don't know if you've ever read those, Trevor, have you? Oh, yeah, I've read all of them. 
Okay, so the the thing it's like five to ten milligrams. Well, no, it's not necessarily that, but it's that back then they didn't have AIs. So the guru who came up with the steroid charts, he basically he based his chart on does this aromatize and how androgenic is the compound. So since Winstrol doesn't aromatize at all, he listed it as a mild steroid, and he listed something like you know, testosterone or DECA with much more higher side effects, which is not the case. The thing with the Lenistrol is that what I noticed on it is I'd get these headaches when I would take it and I never get headaches. Number two, I noticed my hair was falling out like crazy. Number, number three, my joints were cracking and my joints don't usually crack and my hair doesn't usually fall out. So what the hell was going on here? So really, I don't see a point of using Winstrol unless you're competing at a very strong level and you need to dry out ahead of your competition. Because one thing Winstrol will definitely do will, will dry you out at a um, mainly not at a cellular level, you know, and that's a complicated topic. You know, it's not going to affect, you know, your electrolytes and all that stuff, but it will dry your, you out where your joints will be so dry that they'll be cracking and they'll, they'll feel your elbows and your knees will feel bad. So if you're a powerlifter in the gym, Winstrol is a really bad idea because now you're going to use it and then you're going to go to squat or you're going to go to deadlift and you'll start feeling your knees, your hips. Something is wrong. Okay. So it's, it's basically delubricating your joints and that's definitely not what we want. But if you are competing or you're a narcissist and you like to stand in front of the mirror and jack off to yourself, you know, with your veins popping out, it's a great, it's a great one to use in that situation. But, you know, for the rest of us, it's probably not going to be a good idea. And, um, you know, you just want to be careful. And I guarantee you guys, if you don't believe me that it's, that it's not mild, run Winstrol 50 milligrams a day or 25 milligrams a day, and then run, um, check your blood pressure and check your total cholesterol and your bad cholesterol. I guarantee you those numbers will, will get worse. It is a very, very harsh steroid. And the hidden dangers of Winstrol is a prostate because it does run a number on your prostate and has a lot to do with the structure of the drug. So <clears throat> the whole Ben Johnson thing, you know, that is something that, Either he happened to get busted for it or he didn't get busted for it at all. And I've, I've read some stuff that he actually didn't get busted for Winstrol, but that's actually what was reported or something. I, I'm not really sure. But the point is running Winstrol is not going to make you a, a, a Olympic sprinter. Okay. It definitely won't. It's going to give you some horrible pumps and it's going to give your, your, make your ankles and your knees cracking as you're running. So that makes absolutely no sense to use it. One thing I was going to say is I kind of mis misunderstood your question. As I was saying, like, if you look at the literature, like, if you actually go on PubMed and you look at, like, the literature on, like, Anavar or Winstrol in human subjects, it'll show pretty low side effects, but they're using a dosage of around 5 milligrams per day. So if you're using 50 milligrams per day, obviously you can't extrapolate those results because you're using 10 times the dosage. So I was just saying when you're on PubMed and you're looking at the safety of, like, DECA or Anavar or Winstrol – just make sure that you read the results section and the discussion section to actually see what dosages they're using. 
I'm all for experimenting, guys. So if you do want to use Winstrol, if you're a guy, 25 to 50 milligrams a day, you know, and you can run it. It's also going to do a number on your liver, by the way, even I'll if say, it's. I'll say one more thing about injectable versus oral because we get this question a lot. Now, injectables are always absorbed better because it's directly involved into your bloodstream. Whenever you take something orally, you're never going to have 100% bioavailability. But for real world purposes, it's going to be absorbed about the same. Injectable wind straw causes really bad post-injection pain. So unless you're doing a cycle where you need to inject every day and you can just throw the wind straw in there, I mean, I would use oral. Like I, I really don't see any reason to use injectable. What are your thoughts, Steve? I, when I use Winstrol, I drank it. I got the, I got it. Um, basically, it's a very, it looks like a milk. It looks very milky and cloudy. And I basically just drank it. I, I didn't even try to inject it. And, um, but I would imagine it would hurt quite a bit to inject it. It'd be a lot of post-injection pain by injecting it. So that, that I think, yeah, that or take the tablet. And that would be your best option. Um, with, with, with stroll. But again, guys, 25 to 50 milligrams a day. I'm all for experimenting, guys. If you want to try it, if you want to see what it's all about, one thing I'll add too, if you are um, at least like 13% body fat or even 12% body fat, using Winstrol is not going to, you know, help you because you're not going to use Winstrol and suddenly be able to see your abs. You got to get your body fat down like to under 10% if you really want to start seeing your abs. So if that's your goal, you want to really, really harden things and cut, have some nice cuts, get your body fat down first. Then you can run these quote unquote cutter drugs. That makes a lot more sense. It doesn't make sense if you're 18% body fat to go in and run it because your, your fat is covering up your muscle, right, Trevor? Yeah, exactly. Next question. Steroid laws in the U.S. and Canada. This guy is worried about buying steroids and having them delivered at his house. Can you give me advice on what I should do? That's his question. So, Trevor, tell us about Canada, about your steroid laws, because believe it or not, most people don't know these laws. What are your laws in Canada? How... Is your customs up there? What are the best ways to buy steroids and get them safely to you without getting busted? And what is the, the criminal penalties for people who do get caught, if any? So my first piece of advice is that if you don't feel 100% comfortable taking possible legal risks, don't use steroids. You could use you know, a natural testosterone booster. You could use SARMs, which are still legal. Because even in Canada, there is risks associated with steroids. They're very low risks, but there are risks. In Canada, steroids are illegal for sale. They're illegal for manufacture and distribution, but they are legal for personal usage. So you can technically legally use steroids. The ironic part is buying them is illegal, selling them is illegal, but using them is legal. So you'd have to do something illegal to get them, but when you actually are using them, that's not illegal. Now, one piece of advice I will give you is that when they say legal for personal usage, that means TRT dosages. So even if you had like 10 amps of gear on you, that's not that much gear, but because they're basing the dosages on TRT, they could theoretically prosecute you with intent to distribute. Now, again, the DEA, they don't really care about the end user. They want to take out the source. So 
if they kick down your door, you had 10 vials of gear, maybe you had a couple packs of orals, chances are they would just confiscate it, give you a warning. Um, if you had a couple kilograms and they, then they would definitely, you know, prosecute you because they would assume you're going to capsule it and try to sell it. But if you're just got a couple, they, they don't really care about the end user. Same with drugs, like with recreational drugs, if you got caught with some Coke or something as your first offense, they're not going to lock you up. They're going to basically ask you who your source was. If you tell them your source, you're just probably going to get a fine. You'll get old on bail. They want to take out the distributor. They don't really care about the end user. That being said, Canada has extremely strict customs. You have the second strictest customs in the world. I would recommend using a domestic source. What most domestic sources do is that they import the raw hormone to Montreal and then they smuggle it from Montreal into Canada. So if you're planning on using an international source, chances are your package is going to get busted. Um, they would basically just confiscate it. You wouldn't get in trouble. You'd basically just get a letter in the mail that would say, hey, um, a package was sent to your house that contained illegal, illegal ingredients. Um, we confiscated it. So you wouldn't actually get your door kicked down or anything like that. But then your address would be flagged. So they would search all packages that came to your house. So my recommendation would be use a, dom a Canadian domestic source. Um, there's lots of good Canadian domestic sources. If anyone wants some help with advice on sources, you can send me a Instagram message or email or things like that. I'll help you out with the source. I won't help you out with purchasing or anything like that, but I can just shoot you in the right direction on some sources you could consider using. Um, that's basically it. So steroids in Canada are actually legal for personal usage, but they are illegal to sell, manufacture and distribute. Steve? My advice is this, make sure when you're ordering, a, <laughs> make sure if you order the steroids, you go on eBay and you buy some lube along with the steroids, just in case you do get caught. But no, uh, seriously, um, so in the United States, steroids, most steroids are illegal, completely illegal. The few of them are legal with a prescription. Um, and it's not that hard to get a prescription if you know where to go. If you know how to go to an anti-aging clinic, I mean, these places, they're prescribing HGH to like 30-year-olds. I mean, it's all money. In the United States, it's, it's all about the money. It's not like Canada at all. So if you got the money and you know where to go, you can get your hands on steroids legally. But, you know, so basically, if you are basically dealing with customs, the thing that customs will do in the United States is they'll usually not catch you. Um, but there are instances where certain people do get their stuff seized. So in that situation, you show the letter to your source, if you're importing steroids and your source will reship, but they'll want to put you, uh, give, uh, they want, they will, they will ship to a different address, not the same address. So don't use your, your pr primary residence when you're bring, uh, ordering steroids, get a PO box. Okay. And use your real name, use your real ID. Don't go to the post office with a fake ID because now you're committing an actual crime, okay? Now you're committing a felony using a fake ID. Don't do that. Use a real ID. Get a couple PO boxes at different post offices. Use that. If it's seized, don't use that PO box again. Use a different PO box. And then every few months, change your PO box. So if you're ordering steroids every six months, every six months, get a couple different PO boxes. They're not expensive. And that's the best thing to do. If you're ordering a small amount of steroids, you know, even if you're caught, it's not a big deal. And if you don't have a record, it's going to be a slap on the wrist. You'll go on your merry way. 
but they don't pro they haven't been prosecuting people who who are buying to use steroids they're prosecuting the sources and the, again the main reason they prosecute sources is because sources are avoiding taxes and they're doing all this shady stuff and manufacturing you you don't want your neighbor making steroids or drugs or anything in their basement that's the reason they do it and number two that source obviously isn't paying taxes so that pisses the government off so that is why the government's going to break down your door they're not going to break down your door because some meathead decides to order a few vials of steroids that's not the way it works there has been a couple instances where they have busted people for that but that was something where that person already had a criminal record and they were actually basically watching the person and they were monitoring what mail was going to that person's house. So in that instance, the person stupidly ordered steroids to their house and then they went and delivered the steroids. And as soon as he accepted it and he signed for it, they arrested him. So and that's a, one of those really weird situations where you, you get busted. So other than that, you're good. One of the things to worry about, though, is, you know, keeping steroids in the house around your spouse. That's a much more bigger risk because your spouse can use that against you in divorce proceedings or, or um, custody of children. We have members who've <clears throat> been in that situation, even though the wife has said, yeah, I'm cool with you using it. But then things get really messy in a divorce they'll fight for custody of the children and she can say, Hey, this guy uses steroids, which are illegal. And that will work against you in, in court for custody of children. So you want to keep that in mind in that situation. So that's a topic for another day. Maybe we'll talk about it next time. All right. So the, that don't I want to talk, go ahead. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't keep it from your wife. The truth always comes out. It's going to be a disaster. If you're going to use steroids and you're married, talk to her before it. She probably won't be thrilled about it, but she'll be more mad at the fact you lied it from her than the actual fact you're using steroids. So don't, don't hide it from her. It's just, it's just a bad idea. I've seen it blow up in people's face so many times. It's just, go ahead. This is, this is a topic that we'll have to talk about next time because uh, it's a really good one. <clears throat> the next topic, trend, trend dosage. And this is one that, you know, I think that we're kind of making uh, progress on this because um, I can remember years ago, people used to run a lot more trend than they do now. But I think that a lot of people have kind of um, been on our forums and by educating themselves as to how much trend to use. And one of the things that I, you know, I used to use trend a lot and I always would get just as good results on 200 or 250 milligrams of trend a week as I would if I ran 350 or 400 milligrams a week. It's such a huge difference in side effects. The more trend you run, the more side effects pile up. And that kind of becomes counterproductive because now you're affecting your sleep, you're affecting your blood sugar, you're affecting your hydration. All these factors come into play. So what's a dosage that you recommend for your clients when, when it comes to trend? So with trend, a little bit goes a long ways. If you use a lot of trend, you're going to have issues sleeping. You're going to get hypoglycemia. I mean, trend is a very, very powerful steroid. I'm not saying, you know, necessarily fear it. I'm just saying respect it. For trend ACE, I think 50 milligrams every other day is good. And then for trend E, I think 200 milligrams per week. If you really want to push it, I mean, the most I would recommend is 75 milligrams every other day for ACE. 
or 300 milligrams per week for Trenny. But 200 to 300 milligrams per week is, is plenty for Tren. I mean, a little bit goes a long ways. It is a nasty steroid. So once you really up the dosages and using more than 300 milligrams per week, you're going to have really bad insomnia. You're going to get hypoglycemic. You're just going to feel off. Like any, any, anyone who's come to me for nutrition or steroid advice who's used high doses of Tren, they'll just say like, they just didn't feel good. Like that's, that's the easiest way to put it is like, they just, they felt off. What are your thoughts, Steve? I'd also be careful about stacking androgenic compounds. If you stack an anadrol with it, high amounts of testosterone, D-bowl and get a lot of water retention, that's just going to cause a domino effect of side effects. It's completely not necessary. You can literally just use 200 milligrams a week of trend. That's it. Nothing else. And you'll have sensational results. I mean, your strength will go up in the gym. You know, you're, it's just amazing. Like the, it's a, one of the most amazing compounds out there. And people, for some reason though, Trevor, people, for some reason, they want to abuse it. And they think that more is better. And they think that they want to use like five different things and add trend to it. And it's like, you don't need to just let the trend do work. It's magic. Get your training and your diet on point and let the trend run its magic. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. If you want to stack trend with something, I would stack it with an anabolic. So trend in EQ, that stacks really nicely. You could do trend in Anavar, you could do trend in Primo. Stacking trend with an estrogenic compound like D-ball or testosterone, things can get really messy if you have high estrogen and high prolactin. So you definitely would want to use an AI. So if you're stacking trend with anything that aromatizes into estrogen, make sure you are using an aromatase inhibitor like arimacin. Next question, Steve. All right, guys. So we're almost to our uh, time. And this is a very important one, too, because I see this a lot. You walk into anyone's home. A lot of people are not drinking milk like they used to. So they're transitioning to these processed milks like almond milk, hemp milk, soy milk, etc. And, you know, it's one of those things where you say, you know what, you know, it's going to do me, do me a lot of good, you know, uh, getting milk out of my diet. But now they're using these types of milks. And, um, you know, I'll let you start off, Trevor, and tell us a little bit about these types of milks. What are they? And tell us, um, are they healthy? And what your opinion is of them? And have you tried them? Just drink water. Like, I don't understand, like, it just, I don't understand this whole needing milk for any, like, you're not a baby, just drink water. Like, I, I, and I've really understood it. Generally, what they will do is they take the almonds that don't sell. So the almonds that go rancid, they get sent back to the almond company and they make almond milk out of them. If you read the ingredient list of almond milk, it's got lots of gums in there, which basically are emulsifiers. It makes the product creamier, but it doesn't digest very well for most people. So you're going to get bloating. Um, if you look at the nutrition facts, it's just carbs and fat. I mean, there's no protein in almond milk. There's no protein in hemp milk or soy milk or anything like that. I, I never really understood the need for it. If you're going to use one coconut milk, coconut milk would be the best option. That's the least processed, but soy milk, almond milk, hemp milk, cashew milk, I, I just never really saw the need for it. And most of them, if you read the ingredients list, it's got a bunch of preservatives, 
a bunch of artificial additives. A lot of them actually have cornstarch added, which is basically just starch. And they add that as filler because it gives it a better mouthfeel. Just, just drink water, guys. If you actually look at what's, how much almonds are in almond milk, how many almond or almonds, however you want to pronounce it, it's actually a very small percentage. Uh, some of the, the top brands only have three, four, five percent of the actual liquid being almonds. So that's, that's really interesting. So it just makes you wonder what else is being filled in there, like Trevor said. And, and, and like we said at the beginning, like I was telling you guys, that's what companies do with these processed foods. They want to make it taste good. So they take out all the good stuff and they add in all these fillers and these sugars and all this crap and to make a product. But anything, guys, that comes in a box – it's not going to be good for you. That's just, that's just nat- nature. That's mother nature. You know, that's just common sense. Food manufacturing companies are very smart, right? So in the 80s when it was a low fat, they said, okay, people want low fat. Let's take cookies. We'll make them low fat. Now that people are demonizing sugar, they're going to take the cookies and they're going to use sugar-free sweeteners like Splenda. It's still crap. The food manufacturers are just making the crap into what you want. So now people aren't drinking milk. So the food manufacturers are going, hey, let's, let's make a plant-based version of milk. It's going to sound super healthy. Now consumers are just, the manufacturers are just giving you more crap to buy that you don't actually need. If you actually want to make almond milk, the best way to do it would be to soak almonds. So take some almonds, soak them for 24 to 36 hours. When you soak them, you'll actually sprout them because almonds are a seed. You basically remove the water and then you put it in a food processor with water and you would blend it up and it'll make almost like a very dilute almond butter. It'll be like uh, like an almond butter drink. So if you want to actually make your own almond milk or cashew milk, that would be a different story. But anything on the shelf, it's designed to be there and to last there for years. I mean, it's not stuff you want to be putting in your body. Coconut too. You can actually make coconut milk yourself. It's actually something that a lot of people like on the islands and stuff in the South Pacific who kind of live out like they camp and stuff. They'll actually like people who camp out on the beach and stuff. If you've seen, you know, those, those types of people, the tribes and stuff, but they'll actually make their own coconut milk from coconuts. And it's actually really easy to make. You can go on YouTube. You can learn to do it. I don't, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to put, go through all that trouble to make it. And I agree with Trevor, you know, Guys, water. Buy a good water filtration system. You can go to Bed Bath and Beyond and buy something called Zero Water. It costs like thirty bucks. You put your tap water in there and it filters it out. And you change the filter like every month or two. And that is what you should be drinking. So there's no need to drink all this. And if you're like, well, I need something for my cereal, my argument for that is. Stop eating cereal. You're not a fucking 12-year-old kid anymore, all right? Grow up. Stop eating kitty food. You know, stick to natural whole foods. And we're going to talk more about that, you know, with our guests that we see and also on these Q&As. We're going to talk about foods, and it's really hard to fight billions of dollars of marketing and advertising for food companies. But this show, we're going to try to do that. So stick with us. Stick with Evo. And you know, keep listening and keep reading on our forums and you can get in the best shape of your life. I like, I like what Steve said. And that's what I was alluding to is that of all the forms of milk that you'll find at your typical grocery store, 
The only exception is coconut milk. Basically what you do is you just blend up the coconut meat with water and it makes coconut milk very easily. So out of all the forms of coconut, out of all the forms of plant-based milk, coconut milk is going to be your best option. That's the only one that's not processed. For future Q&A episodes, I will have my Instagram and email in the show notes. Uh, feel free to send me a DM on Instagram or an email and just put in the subject Evo Q&A question. I get a lot of emails. It just helps me filter through them all. And then we will keep answering 10 questions every single week. So guys, thank you so much for following. Please give this a like, a share, and a subscribe. For your host, Trevor Critson, for my co-host, Steve Smee, this has been another episode of Evolutionary Radio. Thank you for listening.